Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. It's less, why should I go build this? But more, why should I invest? And often the two are the same, but I think it just requires a slightly different lens when you're talking to, when you're talking to an investor and you're, if you were sitting in their seat and what they're thinking about. In the Women Who Code Career Nav segment of our show, you'll hear real-world advice from people who are currently working in the technology industry and personally know the steps needed to succeed. These talks will include both career advice as well as a look at the industry itself and its practices. Hi, everyone. My name is Kindrel. I'm a senior associate at Blockchain Capital. I'm focused there on specifically investing in the blockchain industry as well as in crypto assets. I've been there for about two years. And prior to that, I was in Boston where I worked at Fidelity Investments. I was part of the, um, the consulting and strategy group there. And I was uh, lucky enough to work with the team on both blockchain initiatives as well as some asset management projects. Um, and as Monsi mentioned, I was also um, a little bit, you know, getting involved with the blockchain community there. And um, I'm very much uh, a fan of um, all of the, the women in blockchain initiatives all over. Um, and so I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And so today I'm going to talk a little bit about process of basically crafting your pitch. A lot of uh, my experience over the past two years has been focused on more of a technical sector. So a lot of the pictures that I see are technical. So I'll spend a little bit of time talking about that. Um, and I'm also focused more on early stage investing. So some of the um, some of the sort of advice and tips that I have might be a little bit more geared towards early stage investing, but I think are broadly applicable. Today, I'm just going to cover a couple of different things. First, I'll talk a little bit about how you approach how you approach uh, fundraising in general. So there's a couple of different approaches out there, and then I'll get into the pitch more specifically. Um, some tips on how to sort of land a technical pitch. And then also just broader, um, broader advice around the pitch deck as well and some of the materials associated with it. There's a plethora of advice and information on pitch decks out there. So it can be a little bit challenging to sort of navigate um, some of the, the advice that's out there. There's just a, a whole lot. So I hope this helps clarify some things. Um, it's certainly representative of my perspective and, and my experiences. And so it's definitely more art than science, but hopefully um, I can kind of cut through some of the, the excess information. So to start, um, sprint versus marathon. So this is kind of something that I've um, coined in my head, or maybe I picked this up along the way, but there are two approaches to fundraising with uh, venture capitalists. The first is the sprint method, and the second is marathon. And on the sprint side, some folks, um, this is where some folks suggest you fundraise in a really short period of time and you treat it like a sprint. So you kind of aim to have your fundraising done within a, say, two to four week cycle or whatever seems appropriate given how much capital you're trying to raise and, and where you're trying to raise it from. Um, and you do this um, over uh, a shorter period of time to create some sense of urgency behind your, your round, right? When, when you're talking to a bunch of people at the same time, it can help create this sense of FOMO. Um, and it's something that investors fall in love with, you know, a lot more. FOMO is everyone's um, subject to that sort of sensation. So that's one approach. And then the second approach is taking more of a marathon approach. And this is basically where you build a relationship or a couple of different relationships with investors over time. 
and sort of cultivate this by providing them updates, um, whether that's on your product launch or what you're sort of building. And then over time, um, sort of bringing them along with you in the process before starting to raise capital. Some, some folks say that this leads to stronger relationships with their investors. However, um, this can also, of course, take a lot longer time. So I think there's benefits and trade-offs to both approaches. And it really is, you know, not a one size fits all kind of a kind of a solution, but I bring up both because I think they're really important to how you think about fundraising. So if you're considering um, raising a seed round for a project that you're doing, I think it's really important to identify which approach you're going to start with or try. Um, that way you can sort of find the right investors, identify your goals and, and the process that you want to take, and then prepare accordingly. And of course, preparation, you know, everyone is going to prepare, but I think it differs depending on which approach you will take. So I'll just go one by one really quickly just to sort of demonstrate what I mean by this. So if you were to take the sprint approach, preparation is going to include, you know, researching investors, lining up potential warm introductions, or perhaps if you want to cold email them, um, you can, you know, line up some, some of the emails that you want to send out there and really try to stack your meetings so that they're, you know, going to, all fall into a exact window of say two weeks or something like that. Um, and when you're doing this, there's, there's less room for uh, error when it comes to your deck, when it comes to your pitch, everything kind of needs to be polished and ready to go right before you start. Whereas a marathon, it takes a little bit more of a workshopping approach. You're, you're talking to investors, you're sharing your ideas with them. You might be iterating in some ways, iterating, iterating your pitch as you go. Um, and, and this process can drag on a little bit. And so of course your time is valuable. So just be cognizant of how, you know, how much of a marathon it actually is. Um, but there's, there's definitely sort of these two, I think, large school of thoughts of, of how you can go about doing it. And when you're trying to find the right investors, I would really do some research and homework around, you know, what types of investors are you looking for? Do you want angel investors? Do you want them to be a little bit more, um, strategic folks who can help you out with, uh, recruiting or marketing or PR, what's, what's kind of like the, the crux of what you're looking for um, in terms of value add, particularly because these investors are going to be on your cap table and you want to make sure that you are optimizing for your goals and, and what your needs are. So this is just kind of high level, I think, how I think about the fundraising process if I were in, in a founder's shoes and, and sort of identifying all these things beforehand um, is super important. So this is a little bit of um, the before, and then I'm gonna now move into the during the actual pitch itself and, and some things that I've learned and seen over the past couple of years. So storytelling is, is really an art. Um, and I've seen this come true um, in, in a lot of different ways over the past couple of years. So I've probably sat in on now um, a couple, you know, maybe a hundred pitches, maybe more than that over the past two years. And you start to see some patterns and trends of what's working and, and what might not be working as well. And at the end of the day, when you walk into um, a pitch, there's a couple of things that I think people are really, investors are really looking for. So first is to make it personal. I think this is something that folks um, sometimes think that, you know, investors are really looking for the data and they really want to see, you know, a lot about the market trends um, and, and a little bit more of like a business case for what you're building rather than a personal story. And I think the personal story is really what resonates in the room. 
So when I say personal story, I mean, you know, how did you kind of come to where you are today? Why are you building this particular product or company? And how does it like fit into your background and um, what problems that you're, you're passionate about? So I would really say don't sacrifice the emotion for data. I think both are important, but just be cognizant of the fact that if you can kind of make it more personal and connect with the investors on some level um, and relate it back to your background, it's going to resonate a lot more um, or it's, it's going to resonate, you know, in a more meaningful way, I think, than simply presenting a bunch of um, a bunch of data and, and trends, which is important as well, but potentially not um, not the same impact. And then the third thing, exude energy. I know this it sounds like an obvious statement, but um, you know I can't stress how much body language and eye contact and being really excited about what you're building can change the mood in the room. You can kind of tell within the first five minutes that you know a founder is really excited about what they're doing. And I can I, I can totally understand that it's exhausting, right? You might walk into a pitch and it could be your 15th or 20th pitch that you've given that week. And it's really hard to seem super excited about what you're, what, you know, the pitch that you're giving. And, and I have so much respect for everyone doing this, but I think the, the energy aspect really can change the room's sort of overall um, mood and feel. So I highly recommend bringing that attitude to every pitch that you can. And then also just allocating your time. And this is something that I think people, um, often struggle with where they really want to include all the information that they can in a pitch meeting, right? This is your 30 minutes in front of an investor. Like, let's try to get it all in. Before you go into the room, I would urge you to sort of write down, say, three to five things where if you, you know, if you can only say three to five things to the investor, what would that be? And make sure that you hit those points. Um, specifically, you know, I think folks tend to over index on things like their their background and their bio. You know, I've had 30 minute pitches where a founder might spend 10 minutes talking about their, their background and how they got to what, what it is that they're doing. And while that can be super interesting and, um, you know, useful in terms of contextualizing, contextualizing what you're doing, it can of course be a little bit challenging just from a time perspective, right? If you only have 30 minutes to cover everything. Um, and then the last thing that I would say that, you know, I, I think people, um, sometimes unknowingly do is it, you're going to iterate on your pitch. It's not going to be perfect the first time. Um, at least for most people, it will be perfect. So if you have the opportunity to time, you know, maybe your uh, top investors you that you want to land meetings with, time those so, so that they're a little bit later in your process. Don't make your first pitches your dream investors leave a little bit of room for error. And, and I know that's not always possible, but when it is that, you know, I think can be beneficial so that you've had time to kind of smooth out any kinks that you might have before that. When you're actually in the room with the investor or in the Zoom rather with the investor, what are some of the thoughts that are going through the investor's mind? So there's a few questions and I know everybody kind of talks about these big questions, but I'm just going to go through each one and break down what I think we're, um, we're thinking about when, I, when I'm in a pitch. So what problem are you solving? This is, of course, the most obvious um, sort of starting point of, you know, I'm building something, I'm building X, and I'm, the reason I'm building it is to solve this problem. The, the word of caution I would, I would just suggest here is to ensure that you're, it's clear that you're solving a specific problem and not all the problems. 
So to bring this to life a little bit more, um, you know, if you're, if you're doing, if you're building something related to say the financial stack, um, many teams come in and they say, you know, we've envisioned an entirely new financial stack top to bottom. And, you know, it's going to revolutionize the way that um, infrastructure works and payments work and all, all these sorts of things. And I think that vision is great, but from sort of a, a day one perspective, it's really important to have a honed in problem that you're solving and, and why you are the right person to, to go out and solve a specific thing. So I would try to narrow in on a problem. Of course, how big is the market? So everybody talks about market size being really important and demonstrating that um, the market is not only big, but growing. You know, VC, at the end of the day, these are investors who are looking to make a return on their investments. And so they really need to believe that these are markets where you can kind of grow a billion dollar business. What I would, um, what I found to be really useful is instead of simply talking about how big the market is and some of the growth trends, I would also include dynamics in the market that you think are uniquely um, advantageous to what you are building. So perhaps an example for this would be, um, I talked to a lot of folks who are building in the blockchain gaming sector. A lot of them you know, point out the size of the gaming market, how people are moving, moving to online gaming and are constantly buying these digital skins and buying digital assets. I think all of that is really helpful in terms of contextualizing that this is a really interesting opportunity, but perhaps some of the dynamics at play might be more useful to an investor to understand why digital assets could be a good use case here. So understanding secondary transactions to the extent that you can, or understanding consumer behavior in terms of how many people are buying Fortnite, you know, skins, um, or whatever, whatever dynamic it is, you know, deplatforming of gaming influencers, something that can kind of help you better understand what the dynamics are within this market that help you, um, that are advantageous to you. And then third, so why are you the right person to build this? I think this is a tough question, but I think to the extent that you can sort of exemplify why you know, this problem is something either you are uniquely positioned to solve or something that you've been really passionate about for a long period of time um, and that you've demonstrated interest for. I think those that goes a long way, particularly with early stage investing. Oftentimes, um, you know, I'm we're investing in a company that is pre-product uh, or pre-revenue. And so being able to have that conviction and um, excitement about this being the right team is important. And I know that sounds a little squishy, but I think it really comes across between, um, you know, passion and demonstrated interest as well as background and skill set that you bring to the table. So fourth, how have you validated this idea? Um, I think from an investor perspective, it's great to, you know, show rather than tell. And, and I'll say this a couple of times throughout the presentation, but to the extent that you can show that, you know, this is a real problem, that users are asking for this, that's going to help, um, help bring the investor along in terms of, you know, not only is this a problem, but it's a problem that people are, are asking for a solution. And then lastly, why should I invest? So if I'm coming into the room, I think your goal is to at the end of 30 minutes or 45 minutes, the, the goal is to really have the investor saying, oh yeah, this is a really interesting investment opportunity and I wanna know more. Um, I need to go dig into X thing or from a um, opportunity perspective, this could be really big, solving a really big problem or 
filling a really big hole in the market, I would just kind of put on that lens of it's less, why should I go build this, but more, why should I invest? And often the two are the same, but I think it just requires a slightly different lens when you're talking to, when you're talking to an investor and you're, if you were sitting in their seat and what they're thinking about. So I hope this is helpful. These are, this is what I would kind of want to come away from. If at the end of the pitch, I was talking to a, a founder, I would love to have the answers to these questions and then be able to then go do some more um, diligence and ask some more questions. But this is kind of at a minimum, what I really want to walk away from the conversation knowing getting technical. I have a uh, degree in quantitative economics, so I'm definitely a little bit more math oriented, but I'm not a programmer and I don't have you know, a, a ton of computer science knowledge. But that being said, I do sit in technical pitches you know, 99% of time, um, given the focus on the blockchain industry. And so there's a couple of things that I think work really well for technical pitches, um, things that I think folks sometimes underestimate the power of. So first, explain it like I'm five. Um, this is self-explanatory uh, to a certain extent, but some of the best pitches that I've seen have really started out first and foremost with a high level, like a 50,000 foot view of what is the most important thing that you need to understand about the technology, what problem it's solving, um, and how it works at a really, really high level. And I think you know, people sometimes fall into the trap of using jargon or using language that might, you know, the investor might not be familiar with, even if they are technical, simply because they might not know the specifics of what you're building. And that's when you start to lose folks in the room, when um, you're using too much vocabulary that is a little, uh, you know, is a little bit opaque, or they just might not know exactly what you're talking about. And I think the best way to demonstrate that you really understand the space that you're building in is if you can explain it like I'm like I'm five. Um, to me, you know, when you keep it simple, that's, that shows that you really understand the mechanics of how it works and then peel back the onion. So then kind of go into more specifics on the technology and how, um, you know, how, a you know, how some of the incentives of the protocol work or whatever it is that you're, whatever it is that you're talking about. I think you can go into a layer deeper as the conversation progresses. And I think what I would um, suggest as a potential exercise is you can practice this by saying, okay, let me try to explain what I'm building from a technological perspective in three minutes, in 10 minutes, and then in 20 minutes and kind of have these like, you know, almost like practice pitches of the tech in, in, you know, three, 10 and 20. And that way, you know, um, that you can still sort of communicate the most important information given the amount of time that you have and the amount of detail and depth that you want to go into. Um, but that way you're not, you know, you're not always just diving straight into the weeds, which I think is, is one of the toughest parts of, of, a, of a technical pitch. And then in terms of contextualizing the tech, so I think this is something that I've seen founders do extremely well. And I've also seen founders, you know, struggle with a little bit more where when I say contextualize the tech, I really mean, um, you know, use examples if you can, use use cases, talk about maybe the competitive landscape and how your technology is a little bit differentiated from some of the competitors. Use analogies if you can. Basically try to bring the investor along with how they might think about your technology in the broader landscape, both from um, what else is out there, but also with, in, from uh, how you can use the technology. For example, one of our portfolio companies is a company called UMA. Um, I think the founder might have actually been on 
one of the women in blockchain talks previously, Allison, she's awesome. And so when they first kind of came in and pitched us, um, I was reading the white paper and I was talking to them and you know, they're, they're basically building derivatives on, on chain. They're building derivatives that are built on um, a protocol called Ethereum. And from a technical perspective, there was a lot to bet, you know, understand both about financial derivatives, but also how this would work in, in the context of a blockchain. And what they did throughout their white paper was they included examples of how you might be able to use these derivative contracts in say the developing world or how you might be able to use it to create an insurance product. Um, they had like five or six of these use cases. And I loved that from a, an experience perspective of someone who's not extremely technical going through all the details, but then bringing it back to a higher level and saying, here's how this might be applicable. Um, was really helpful. And I would urge, you know, anyone who's building something really technical to kind of take this approach. And I think it'll resonate really well. And then lastly, visuals help. Um, you know, if you can put together some sort of diagram to explain what you're, what you're walking through. I'm a visual learner. I know lots of people are visual learners, and it can kind of be helpful to focus your eyes on something as you're, you know, understanding and hearing about the technology. So if possible, I would definitely urge you to, to include a visual. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash women who code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.